0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. (laughs) Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now, your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley.
2: Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I'm going to start with a discussion of something I heard on the radio the other day. A couple talking heads, uh, financial planners of some type and they were talking about making a big deal out of protecting their butt on the back end of how they were explaining to their clients that the concept that the stock market and the bond market went down at the same time was a very unusual situation, first of all, the point they made. Uh, And secondly, that that happening didn't mean diversification was a bad thing. Now, I want you to understand that these two adult males sounded like little scared kids tattling on somebody else for doing something wrong to the teacher. I mean, I've never heard such little crybabies like this before. I take that back. I have, but it's always financial planners because these guys have nothing to live by. You're sitting there, you've got clients. You've got all of them believing the same set of lies. You've got them all in the same set of stocks and bonds and so forth. And then you have a devastating week and everything goes down. And so you've got to make up excuses. I always tell the story about a guy named Ben Stein who was on the radio station with another uh, guy who's been since taken off the radio for lying, lost his securities license for lying or misrepresenting or whatever you call it, but they took his license and took him off the radio. And Ben Stein and him were sitting there talking about the fact that, you know, I'm not embarrassed that I lost 40% of my client's money. I think that's pretty good. Most people lost 50, 60, 70, even 100%. So, to only have lost 40% of my client's money was a pretty good situation. I had to just lose my mind when I heard that the first time. And, you know, look up Ben Stein. He's somebody supposedly pretty important. I don't know why, but he's done a lot of different things. But he definitely sounded like a burnt little crybaby that day. So, let's talk about what I'm talking about. These guys were arguing over, really, a couple points. Part number one was the bond market and the stock market don't usually go down at the same time. Point number two is that that's why you diversify your portfolio. You have a little bit of stocks, a little bit of bonds. Hopefully, if one goes down, the other goes up. And point number three is that if that does happen, it doesn't happen over the long haul. And so over the long haul, you'll come back and everything will be hunky-dory, peachy-keen again. So let's start with the first one. Conventional wisdom says that a bond, which is a debt instrument, has safety because if you hold on to the bond to the very end of the bond, you'll get back whatever it is. If it's a thousand dollar bond, you get back a thousand bucks. Doesn't matter how many times the price of the bond has gone up and down, up and down, up and down for ten years, whatever the bond length is. At the end, you cash it in for the original thousand dollars. So that's security. During that time, the bond pays a coupon amount of interest. So. That's security. You're going to get an interest payment each and every month or quarter or year, however it's set up. And that's security. So bonds are considered safe. Now, what is the unsafe part about bonds? The short term. In the short term, if interest rates go up, your bond doesn't pay anywhere near where that money should be getting paid. And so the value of your bond goes down. And what happens is you lower the price of the bond to make the bond yield the higher interest rate. Or conversely... You don't sell your bond and you hold on to it and you're earning 1% when everybody else is earning 5%. So there's risk, there's financial risk in a bond even though it's considered a safe instrument. Now let's look at the other thing, stock market. Stock market has no safety. The only way you make money in the stock market is if the stock goes up in value. You can lose just as much money as you make by the stock going down in value. So it's a very risky environment. However, supposedly, over X number of years, 20, 50, 100 years, whatever it is, the stock market has proved to outperform the bond market in overall yield. All right? So this conventional wisdom looks like this. Let's say there's a environment where people are not feeling safe about the stock market. Very little security. They take their money out of the stock market, which makes the stock market go down in value. And then they put that money into bonds because they're looking, they're seeking safety. So as they seek safety, they go after bonds. When you pump a lot of money into bonds, bond value should go up because you've got more money chasing fewer instruments. That's the conventional wisdom. And vice versa, the other way around. When the stock market's doing great, people want to get out of bonds because they want their money back. They pull a lot of money out of bonds and the value of bonds goes down. And the stock market goes up. That's the conventional wisdom. They're supposed to be sort of like a a counterweight against each other. And so by diversifying and having part of your portfolio in one, part of your portfolio in the other, then your portfolio kind of just sits there. So today we're going to talk about diversification in a lot of different ways, but let's start with this diversification idea. The only reason people use diversification is because they don't know what's going to happen. They have no idea what's going to happen. And because they have no idea what's going to happen, they figure, hmm, I can't risk losing everything, so I'll spread it all out, so if I lose something, I'll only lose a little bit here or there. The problem with that theory in the stock market and the bond market is that these markets move generally in unison. So in other words, you could have 20 different stocks, but the whole stock market could go down. And so you spread out over all these different stocks, the whole stock market go down. Now, that's a little bit different in real estate, because if we have real estate, if I have real estate in 20 different cities... Real estate is local. In general, real estate is local. And so you may have one market having a problem. They lost some employment. They had a hurricane. Something occurred that created a problem in one market. That doesn't affect other markets at all. And so diversification has a little more power when you're diversified across things that don't move in parallel. So we've got this diversification theory that bonds... And stocks are really a diversification of each other, except when they're not. So the next argument was, well, look, it happened. And they went back and looked and said, you know what? In the last 100 years, there's been X number of times, 127 times, that the stock market has gone down. But only 47 times of the 127 times did the bond market go down at the same time the stock market went down. And then the guy said this. I want you to listen to this carefully. He said... That's not very much. That's only 40% of the time that the stock market crashes, that the bond market crashes with it. Only 40% of the time. Now, my friends, I don't know about you, but 40% of the time losing everything I have is pretty terrible. I don't get how they can just say that so flippantly. Well, it's not that much. And then they go, but if you go out over a 5-year or 10-year period, that adjustment goes down to only 7%. Well, of course, anything out over a 10-year period of time is going to bring it back to the mean. At one point in your life, you're getting ready to retire. You're not getting ready to retire for the next 10 or 20 years. You're getting ready to retire this year, and 40% of your net worth goes away. How do you like that? Or maybe more than 40% goes away. They're just saying 40% of the time, is. it's only 40% of the time that they both go down. Well, they both go down. Now you have no security. So the same they really shouldn't because they're based on two different things. One's equity, one is debt. But what could make them both go down at the same time? And I started thinking about that. So there's got to be some logical explanation. I came up with one one conclusion. And that's interest rates. Let's say, for instance, interest rates start to rise because of inflation. We're in inflation right now. Heavy inflation. Well, we'll come back, I'm gonna figure this out on the other side of the break. Now, from the files of Dell Wamsley. So, I've got emails here where people ask me, can I really do this or not? And the answer is yes, but you got to get involved. You've got to be speaking to people about things you've never spoken to anyone about in the past. Otherwise, you won't understand the words. And if you don't understand the words, then you won't understand the sentences, and the sentences won't make sense in the paragraphs, and the paragraphs will not lead you to the solutions you need to change your life. I did a deal one time on dance interpretation, and I talked about the fact when you first learn to dance, they teach you these steps. They're awkward, and they don't really look like dance. They look like one, two, triple step, triple step, one, two, triple step. What does that mean? There's no music to it. You're not able to move. You're awkward. You're frozen. But you have to learn the steps, which I'm saying here, you have to learn the words. And then once you understand the words to some degree, and you don't have to be perfect, you don't have to know the steps perfectly, then you can learn to try to put them together in some kind of combination that makes sense. We'll be right back with the Del Womsey Radio Show.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley.
2: Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. As we went to break, I promised you that I would come back and explain to you how and why the stock market and the bond market could both crash at the same time. Even though these stockbroker, financial planner guys who are on the radio were saying that doesn't happen very often, although 40% of the time is pretty often to me. And so we talk about interest rates. That's where I was going with this thing, is that you look at interest rates, and interest rates drive bond prices. So if interest rates go up because of massive inflation, and by the way, we are now facing massive inflation, so interest rates could go up, and if they go up, then bonds won't be earning anywhere near what they should be earning. And so bonds will lose value. They'll go down. So let's talk about what if we don't actually have rising interest rates, but we just have the fear of rising interest rates. Because everybody can see and feel that there is inflation right now, except the Democrats, which can't see or feel anything other than their emotional distress over the weirdest things in the whole world. They can't see common sense things like inflation that is occurring all around them. They're blind to anything that's factual. If it's emotional, they can get it. But if it's factual, they didn't go to school for that. Right? Now, if you told me that emotionally inflation was going to destroy poor people, they might listen to you but you'd have to make the emotional argument for it because they don't even know what, you know, facts are. But the facts are there's massive inflation occurring right now, right now. And so the people out there that know that are probably pretty good with numbers, with money, and they're business people. And business people and investment people are saying, hmm, if the interest rates go up, those bonds are going to go down, so I'm not all that excited about buying a bond right now. And so bonds go down. But the very same time people are going, but if this inflation continues, if we have this continued problem with people not coming back to work, this continued problem with COVID and people not coming back to work from that and all this other stuff, and now the Democrats can't pass even more giveaways, then I guess I'm not that excited about business either. And so I don't think I really want to be in the stock market. Now, in the past, because financial planners had total power over everybody's investments, because nobody knew what they were doing in the past. You went to, you were in a four hundred one k, you were in an IRA, and they were controlled by somebody else, or you had a financial planner. Nobody really took care of it unless it was miniature, minuscule. I like that word better. Minuscule amounts of money that they had in their savings accounts, which mean nothing to the overall economy. And so, what happens is is that people now are on top of all this stuff. And so are the financial planners, and so is everybody else, and they're all going, you know what? We're at the precipice of what could be a gigantic crash because of what the Democrats are doing. Every move that the Democrats have made since they've been in power, since Joe Biden got voted in, has done something to destroy the economy. Every one of them. And so they know that. Now, by the way, I'm not trying to tell you not to be a Democrat. I'm not trying to tell you to to be a Republican. I don't care what you are. I don't care. I'm just telling you what the facts are. Being that I'm neither of those puts me in the position to be able to see with open eyes what's going on here. So people are understanding that there may be a giant stock market crash. But they really don't want to go get into bonds because... If inflation continues, those bonds are going to become worthless. So what are they buying? Where's that money going this time? Well, 30 years ago when I first started doing these radio shows and started Lifestyles Unlimited, nobody knew about real estate. Everybody thought it was taxes, tenants, toilets, bad tenants, drama, doing your own painting and your own plumbing. That's what people thought real estate was. They never thought of it as an investment class. Only rich people thought of real estate as an investment class. And now that's not the case. I've been teaching syndication now for 25 years. I didn't teach it the first five years I was in the deal. I taught single family houses and then small apartments. But then I started teaching syndications. And now we have 50,000 clients nationwide. And I've had two or three or four other People come out of my training program and roll out and try to duplicate my program. And they're out there teaching syndications. And all those people have people following and listening to us on the radio every day all over the country now in all 50 states. And those people have other people. They're just trying to do them like, you know, buy over the Internet. I'll just figure it out how to do it myself. And they're doing syndications. And so now real estate syndications are everywhere used to be the only real estate syndication you could get into was like a REIT. But that's not the case anymore. There's tens of thousands of these things out there. And they're easy to get into now. And so what's happening is that people are moving their money out of the stock market and out of the bond market on the same day and putting it into real estate. Real estate values just keep going up and up and up and up. Why? Inflation. Inflation makes everything go up, and real estate's no different. So we get the hard dollar effect of inflation on real estate. Rents go up. Inflation. But mortgages don't. Because once you lock in a mortgage, the interest rate can't go up on that mortgage. It's locked in. So you're buying money at 2 and 3% interest rates. When people are paying 5% interest rates to get it later on, Yours is locked in, and you own something that's gone up double in value over the last couple of years. You can see how a lot of people want a piece of that. And you can see how it's destroying people's confidence in the stock market and the bond market. But these guys that were on the radio couldn't come up with that. They couldn't even figure that out. They couldn't even come to the conclusion that something different is happening here now than when they started. When all there was to choose from was stocks or bonds. But now there is. And now people are taking that alternative. And real estate's going up, 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 and up. It's amazing. It really is. So what do you think's gonna happen? Do you think there's inflation? Think about what you think. Do you think there's inflation? Do you believe the Fed will eventually have to raise the interest rates? Now, I'm not arguing that point. I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying, but do you think they will? And if you think they will, does that make you afraid to buy bonds? On the other hand, do you see the Democrats destroying businesses with these new tax incentives? They're going to tax businesses again. Trump took all that away, or a lot of it away, not all of it, took a lot of it away. So business went up. It flourished. They are going to put back in place massive taxation on companies and wealthy people. And they're going to put back in place all kinds of rules and regulations to keep businesses from becoming businesses. And hence, the economy is going to go down. They are going to stifle the economy. It's not if, it's when, and you know that. And actually, I know they know that. And that's why they don't want to not pass these bills they're trying to pass right now in unison. Because if they don't pass them in unison, they realize within just a few more months, there's going to be an election and none of them are going to be there to pass the other one. We'll be right back with the Dell Radio
0: Show. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free
1: from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del
2: Wamsley. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. We're going to shift over to the mailbag right now. I've got a bunch of emails people sent me. I want to try to get some of the answers for them. It says uh, here, I've recently had my first passive deal sell. And have received proceeds, and looking for advice on the next step. I'm looking to take more active role in real estate investment, and will have about a hundred thousand to invest. The current goal is to replace a good portion of my wife's income with cash flow. Would it be better to pursue multifamily units or go to small multifamily property? Thank you for your time. Would it be better to pursue multiple single family units or small multifamily? I'd say multiple single family. And the reason is that $100,000 in this day and age probably isn't going to buy you much of a small apartment complex. I think you're probably better off. It would be easier to find four houses, five houses. You should be able to get into at least five houses, 500 bucks a piece, $2,500 a month. And I don't I don't think you get that much more cash flow out of multifamily. Now, multifamily has a bunch of benefits, though, but not at the size that you could afford to buy with $100,000. You don't have a manager. You don't have a maintenance staff. So if you don't have one, you is one. And that means all of a sudden you've got a job. And so added with the fact you got a job compared to just renting your house and let a tenant live there for the next two, three, four, five years is definitely not as good of a choice, I don't believe. So I think you're better off going with the single family. And then we know that there are single family deals out there that you can get good rates of return on and better leverage than on multifamily. Next email says, I'm 38-year-old preferred member hoping to retire from corporate America by age 40. So we're looking at two years here. I think that my good life has prevented me from getting to a great life, as you always say. I always ask people what gets in the way of a great life? A good one. Currently, I have three rental properties with a combined $148,000 in equity based upon my most recent Quest analysis. Quest is a property appraisal product. I have an additional $106,000 of equity tied up in my primary residence. So we're talking about here 250000 bucks. I want to get to the next level. If I were to liquidate all of my current real estate holdings, plus my primary residence, I would have about 255000 in liquid cash before real estate commissions. If I were to take the amount and pour it into a buying an apartment, I feel it would greatly help me reach my retirement goal by age 40. I was hoping to get your thoughts on the above. Maybe this would be ill-advised in the current market, or there could be some other focus I'm not considering. You know, you get up to 250000 bucks, and you're at a point where you can buy a small apartment complex. And if you're really pushing to want to get out in two years, obviously 250000 in net worth isn't going to get you there. So you're going to have to make some drastic moves. In this case, not knowing anything else about you, if it were me, I'd rather take the $250,000 and buy a small apartment complex because I could then go in there, and these small ones, you could make some changes with them pretty quick. And you can make them worth a lot more and double your money. I've seen people double their money in one year to two years in the last couple of years, one to two years in these small ones, whereas the big ones are taking more like three or four years now to double their money because there's a whole lot more. In other words, I got let's say I buy a 10-year apartment complex. I got everybody at $800 a month rent. They should be $1,400 a month rent. Well, it takes me 10 people to change that. So I get one person out. Put one more person in, take one person out, put one person in, take two out, put two in. It's a very short period of time before I could change out 10 people. In fact, some of the people would probably take the rent increase and stay there. So the value in apartment complex is based on its net operating income. That's income minus expenses. What's left over is net operating income. And you take a variable on that, call the cap rate, and figure out what it's worth. Well, in this particular case, you can force the value to go up. You can create a lot of value very quickly, and if you're willing to do that, you're willing to buy this. And remember, 250 compared to the last one I talked about was 100,000. I don't think 100,000 is enough to get you somewhere, but 250,000 I think you can buy a small apartment complex, and uh, make those changes and get something done for yourself. Let's see what's next here. Dell, I joined Lifestyles 18 months ago, and I have never quite understood how much to put into each deal and have invested $700,000 in 12 different deals, ranging from 50000 75000 100000 per deal. I'm about to come into $1.2 million, and I'm considering investing 100000 in the next 12 deals, staying away from the smaller amounts. Your thoughts. I wrote back to this gentleman. I have never gone over $100,000 in any passive deal I've ever gone into. I put as much as $9 million down on a deal that I did, but I own it. I control it. I have no fear of putting large amounts of money into deals I own and control because I have the control to make sure they don't go down in value. Secondly, if I want out, I just simply sell them. So I have no fear of putting large amounts in deals I own. But when I don't own a deal, and $100,000 to me is the most I've ever put in. That's a minuscule amount of money. I like to have said that word twice today. It's a very small amount of money compared to my net worth. And I have no fear. I can sleep, totally sleep well at night, even if some one guy, one idiot out of 50 idiots blows a deal up and I lose 100000 I can live with that. So in this case, I told the gentleman, I said, look, with $1.2 million, though, I would consider getting your own deal where you have total control and you can double it in value and you get all the benefits and you don't share them with anybody. He wrote back to me, he said, Dell, I'm 81 years old. <laughs> I don't want to do anything. I think passive is where I need to be. Well, in that case, then passive is where you need to be if you're 81 years of age. I understand that. I'm 65, and I don't like working either. So I get it. Here's the deal. $100,000 on $1.2 million is a fair amount to diversify. I think you'll be okay with 100000 per deal. I look at it this way. When I was picking what amounts to put in, I, I would look to people and to deals. And if I thought the deal was weak, but I just wanted to try that investor out, I'd put in fifty grand. If I thought that the deal was good, I'd put in hundred grand. Conversely, got a brand new investor's never done anything, I might only put in fifty grand. Just, you know, throw him a bone, see what he can do with it, see how he deals with you, how he sends you reports, you know, if he's getting it done, whatever. The concept of spreading out the money, the diversification, like I said earlier, is different in real estate because what I was looking for in diversification was not to have any amount of money in any one person who could take it down. In the stock market, the stock market moves independently of who owns that stock or that stock or that stock or that stock or that stock. The whole market moves in massive trends. In real estate, a piece of real estate moves because of what you're doing with it. During the COVID, when everybody else had problems with their businesses, the great real estate investors, the syndicators and lead investors, as we call them here at Lifestyles, that were good, had no problem. Only the very weakest of the syndicators had real challenges. And so if you had been in one of those deals, you would be very happy if you had a small amount of money and with that very weak syndicator. But... For all the other ones it's really no problem so again this allocation of resources i think it's important if you're going to invest in these syndication deals that you spread yourself out in different leads and in different cities around the country i even think different states is important too many things in any one area could be controlled by the same set of factors That if something was going to go wrong, like if they shut down a a pipeline, for instance, can a president just destroy an entire business? Yes, he can. And he did. And if you happen to own a bunch of stuff in that area where that was being built, then you're feeling the pain. But if you had just one small amount of money in a deal that was in that area and another small amount, another area, another area, another area, another area, you'd be okay. You got one deal in California and it burns down because of the forest fire. Yeah, there'll be some money recouped from the insurance, maybe all of it, who knows. But there's some time when you don't make any income from it. It should be a small amount. The higher the risk, the smaller the amount. That's basically the way I see it. Because why? Because this is people's life savings, folks. This isn't your fun money, your play money, your gambling money. This isn't your horse track money. This is your life savings. And it needs to be safe. Rule number one in my book is never lose money. Rule one, never lose money. Rule two, there better be cash flow. But then again, rule three is you're never going to get rich slow, and you need to be able to get out there and get in something that has great upside potential. Without great upside potential, you're never going to get rich. So hence, rule one, never lose money. Now more intel to build a better lifestyle from Dell Wamsley. Now here's an interesting one, because it's an example of why people fail. So this individual wrote me an email asking me a question. He's not a member of Lifestyles. And I take those questions also. He says, I'm selling vacant land for cash without using a title company or a 1031 exchange company. Buyer is providing personal check for earnest money and cashier's check for the balance. I will not deed property to buyer until person's check and cashier's check goes through. What do you perceive as my risk as a seller? I could give you 15 different risks all in one place. Everything about what this guy is doing is wrong, and everything about what he is doing is cheap. This is a cheapskate, mom-and-pop, slumlord, real estate owner. Although he doesn't talk about any of those aspects, it's just raw land. There are thousands of things that go wrong. You could be sued for misrepresentation. The guy buys it, you don't have a contract, you don't have title insurance, and all of a sudden you find out you got liens against that property, boom, he sues you, you lose everything you own. We'll be right back with the Dell Walmsley Radio Show.
1: Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Dell Wamsley.
2: Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're hitting the mailbag, and I uh, have a long one here. I uh, said so we joined as preferred members two or three months ago after listening to your podcast. I joined up my game into multifamily space under your model. Now, listen carefully to what this says and what I say back to you. You, L U. Uh, lifestyles teaches to go into multifamily as soon as you can, since there's more returns there due to multifamily valuation methods. However, given current market conditions, the multifamily space does not give the returns that we had seen in recent years. You've mentioned this several times in your recent podcasts. You mentioned the multifamily can now double your money in three to five years before we used to see it in one to two years. Uh, however, I still see plenty of deals in the single family arena where I can still double my money every one to two years. Plus the monthly cash flow. I currently have around a million dollars in equity in 13 single family rentals, which I started buying two years ago. So two years ago, she's already built up a million dollars with equity. 250,000 cash from recent sale of two rentals that I have and 250,000 equity in my personal home, getting a HELOC next month. I need to double the 1.5 million or one more time to get to 3 million equity position that I can then concentrate on an 8 to 10 percent return. Uh, to get my targeted monthly income between twenty twenty five thousand a month. Currently, I have seven to eight k a month in cash flow. Pretty good cash flow, huh? I can still find single family deals that I can capture enough equity to double my money in one to two years, plus get the cash flow. I'm currently getting fifteen to twenty percent cash on cash return since rehab and re- after rehab and rent. Once I concentrate on selling one, the ones with the low return on equity, and adding more single family rentals. For every one that I sell, I can buy three or four more depending on the equity amount that would allow me to get the $3 million in equity, and I can go into multifamily to enjoy the economics of scale. Of course, the downside of this is there's more work to acquire 10 single families than one 10-unit, but I can comfortably buy 10 good, great single-family deals in one to two months. I currently use a property management company that I give the homes to to fix up and manage them when I'm done. All right. There's a lot in this, but does, you got to make sure you listen to all of what I'm about to say. In this case, number one, the people believe they can do it and know they can do it with single family. I say stick with single family. Number two, they're right; they can get those high cash on cash rates of return with single family that we don't see happening in multifamily. Again, excellent, excellent point. Number three, if this three uh, is that they're sending, they're handing these things off to a management company, so they're not actually even managing them afterwards. So if they're getting that much cash flow and building up that much equity, then absolutely, they've found themselves a system that works. I did single-family houses. I did it for the first couple of years I did real estate. Two and a half years later, I had over 100 doors. They were houses, single-family houses, duplexes, which are still considered single-family houses, and fourplexes, still considered single-family houses. I made my first million all on houses. I see no reason why these people can't make their second and third million on single-family houses. They seem to have a system down that works pretty well. One thing I would tell them to look at, though, is instead of selling these other houses, is see about just pulling some money out of them on the HELOC kind of thing or a secondary loan or refinance as opposed to selling them. So they continue to hold all that real estate Uh, So it goes up in value as they continue to buy, because real estate is doing nothing but going up in value right now, and give it away would be the wrong thing to do in my case. But if you do, do a 1031 as long as they last, if the Democrats don't get rid of it, too, which is one of the things they want to pass in this bill they're trying to pass right now. I'm a new member and currently going through a workshop with Lee Reeves. I have questions on cap rate. I understand the basics, but I've also heard from the professional investor that higher cap rate may result in a lower purchase price from an investor, and a lower cap rate may result in a higher purchase price from an investor. Several comments from the visitors to their website thought, like me, would this be true and vice versa? What's your opinion? Exactly the nature of what it is. A lower cap rate means people are willing to pay more to buy a piece of real estate. And get a lower cap rate is just the rate of return on a non-leveraged piece of real estate. And a higher cap rate means they're willing to pay less to buy that return. And so it means a lower price. You're absolutely right. But the one thing that they didn't talk about in this was the factor of risk. Because cap rates, many times, are an indication of the risk involved in the deal. And the greater the risk, the higher the cap rate, the lower the risk, the lower the cap rate. So there was nothing about what they were talking about that was wrong. It's just the feeling that they don't understand that you don't control the cap rates. The cap rates control you, and they control and the, constrain the price and the value of the deal. The only way you can do anything with a cap rate is by repositioning the product from a C to a B or from a B to an A and so forth, or backwards, go the other direction, destroy your property, and make the cap rate go up and make it worth less. Those are discussions for another day because they're full, long, and deep discussions. But the reality is is that cap rates are real simple. Cap rate is the rate of return you earn on the property if you don't have leverage. Income minus expenses equals net operating income. And net operating income divided by what you paid for the property is your cap rate. And that, my friends, is the rest of the show. Hope you enjoyed what we went through today. I want you to think about that inflation. I want you to think about the situation of the economy what the Democrats are doing to it, and think about where you want your money as you go to bed and sleep at night. Because remember, my friends, it's all about the safety. Rule one, don't lose money. And for the rest of you out there, keep this in mind. It's not just about money. It's about a lifestyle. And there's no quality of lifestyle once you've lost your principle. If you lose your principle, if you lose your life savings, then everything else we talk about is mute. Because you're broke. You're poor. You're miserable. And you can't get it back when you're 60, 70, 80 years of age. So, my friends, rule one, don't lose money. Now, from the files of Del Wamsley. To think that you could email somebody and just ask for a simple question of what could go wrong. My God, everything could go wrong. There could be all kinds of problems. A guy could give you a check. The check bounces. You say, okay, I'm not going to give you the title until that check clears and the money order clears. Well, the guy could sue you again for breach of contract Say, no, that's not what you said. Do you even have a contract saying that's what it is? No, he could say, I bought this on contract for deed. I gave you the money. Now I own it. Now I owe you payments on it, but I own it. But the check is no good. Doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong, you're in a lawsuit. As irrelevant as this is, as far as a transaction, the mentality behind it to do it as cheaply as I can without any expertise is what gets everybody in trouble. They look it up on YouTube, and they figure they can figure it out on their own, whatever, whatever, whatever. And they end up getting buried alive in some transaction somewhere along the way. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours